What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Tell us a little bit about your, your world right now. You're, you're married. You have a family. You live where? I'm married to Kelly. Um, we have four kids. Our oldest is nine. Our youngest is seven months. And uh, we moved out to Harrison, Ohio, uh, about three years ago. Uh, we came across a, a historic house in foreclosure. Um, and uh, we... Uh, Purchased the property. It's a pretty large estate, and uh, we've been remodeling it uh, for the last three years. We're living on the third floor, and uh, hopefully, uh, we can kind of finalize some things and move into the rest of the house uh, by the end of this year. How how big is the piece of land it's on? Uh, it's four and a quarter acres, and and now that's a zag. So. Uh, Tell me why you chose to move from, you know, cookie cutter house to, to <laughs> being the, the baron of the land. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Well, my last house was awesome. I mean, it was, it was great. I was weekend worrying that that house for 10 years or whatever and, uh, redid everything. I had all new bathrooms, all new kitchens, all that stuff. And it was, it was great. I loved it. Um, but when my, my third child, Luke was born, um, in January of 19, uh, right after he was born, my wife was, was scrolling Zillow and came across this property and, uh, it's a historic home. It's 8,400 square feet and it has a carriage house. Um, and 8,400 square feet with yeah. a ballroom. Is there a ballroom? Uh, yeah, but on the third floor, we call, there's a room up there we call the ballroom. <laughs> oh my word. Yeah. And it was built in 1857, 1858. Um, and it's got a lot of history to it. It's just beautiful. I mean, it's just really something. Um, and so, uh, part of the reason we moved is, uh, it just, there's a lot more that can, our, our vision can be larger. Our field's larger. You know, we can host people at our home and things aren't as crammed. There's lots of extra space for people to stay with us. Um, this year specifically, we, we got a couple of the bedrooms done in a bathroom. So we have um, one part of our house this year and we've already had two families stay with us. Wow. And that's something that was more challenging at, let's say our last house. So um, that's a real blessing for the not a challenge anymore. How many bedrooms are in 8,400 square feet? Uh, seven. Wow. Okay. You and I uh, spoke at Top Golf, and you intrigued me by what you were saying about your business. But before we get to that, let's go back to the first time that you started running a business. And how did that come about? Um, so probably when I was 16 or so, uh, I was... Uh, I kind of started my own construction business. It was mainly just doing painting and uh, drywall work and handyman stuff. My dad, um, he was a big entrepreneur. I mean, he was, he was wow. always telling me, Hey, don't, don't work for other people, work for yourself. Mm. You can do this, anything you want to do. He was just sky's the limit kind of guy. You That's know? awesome. And uh, so I, I kind of like, you know, breathed that kind of uh, thinking. 
ever since I was very young. And so when I was 16, I started working for a painter um, and he taught me the trade and I got really good. And I think after maybe a year I quit and then I just started painting exterior trim on houses and I uh, bought some ladders and uh, I was strapping them to my mom's minivan and, <laughs> and, uh, and doing painting. And so, um, um, and then when I was about 20, um, I bought my first house uh, and that was right before the, the residential crash uh, recession, you know, when pretty much anyone could get a mortgage. My dad was shocked that I could actually get a mortgage. <laughs> I think I had 2% down or something like that. I was a loan officer in those days and we would write uh, mortgages that were 103% of loan to value <laughs> so, that, so that you could buy a new house and get cash out on the closing oh, day yeah. for improvements on your new house that you didn't pay yeah. any money for. I think I went to closing with $1,500. That's amazing. And uh, and that was for the closing cost or something like that. <laughs> right, right. Nothing for the house itself. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was really where I launched uh, really digging into construction. So I bought that house. I gutted it. I did, I, you know, I was doing a lot of things for the first time, electrical, plumbing, uh, you know, extensive drywall. I really wasn't like a good finisher at all. It was terrible. And I, so I had to learn how to be a finisher, um, tile work, all that stuff. There, there was a lot of firsts in that project. And um, I guess it took me maybe about a year and a half to, to remodel the whole thing. Okay. And um, that was where I really got my education in construction. Hmm. Um, and then, um, so I, so since then, I, um, that kind of launched me into my 20s where I was just doing all kinds of different construction stuff. It was, I was kind of a one man show. Occasionally I would have help that I would hire to help me here and there. So I was doing decks and remodeling basements and just whatever came my way, I, I would do it. Um, and then um, when I uh, hit 25, I got saved. And so um, that, that really sidetracked kind of how I viewed work. Like that became a secondary thing. You know, I was really heavy in the ministry. I was on the leadership team at church, all that stuff. And, um, and so I always viewed like, you know, my work is just a means to an end. It was like, I just do this thing and I'm, it helps me in my ministry or, you know, that sort of thing. It was, it was non-spiritual to me. It was, it was, it was, there was no spiritual implications of work. I'm very familiar with that worldview. Yeah. But in 2010, um, so I was somewhere around 32, I finally met my wife or found her. Business started going really well. Um, I ended up, I think there was like five guys working for me at one point. Um, and so I was, I was doing all, all kinds of work. It was great. I was thriving, providing well. Um, but there was this, I, I was really struggling because it was like, I didn't feel as spiritual. I think that's the best way to say it. You know what I mean? Like it's like, totally. I was very spiritual doing all this ministry stuff prior to that, you know, like, and then it was like, that was limited to like the evenings or weekend. Or like, yep. So I felt like the majority of my time was not spiritual. And I, yep. so I, I kind of felt like I was secondary class or something like that in the kingdom, you know, like the highest achievement is to be a pastor or sure. a leader at a church. Um, and, um, and then I came across this book, um, it's called marketplace Christianity 
um, Discovering the Kingdom Purpose of the Marketplace. Uh, it's by Robert Frazier. Um, and this book really, really helped put words to what I was wrestling with internally. And, uh, you know, there were certain ideas that he brought up in there. Um, you know, like he would ask the question, have, have you ever heard a Christian say, I am so passionate for Jesus, I need to go into the marketplace? You know, it's like no, no one ever says that. You know, right. and for Jesus, I'm going to seminary. Of you course. Know? So there's this kind of view that there's, you know, there's like this high class, you know, pastors and, you know, church type folk. And then there's the laity and these people are kind of secondary. Um, But this book really helped clarify and say, hey, wait a second. The marketplace is part of the kingdom. And and Christ wants to infiltrate that. He wants you to bring the kingdom into it. And, uh, you know, there's the ideas of the cultural mandate of Genesis 128, right? Uh, Or the dominion mandate. Uh, you know, be fruitful, multiply, and rule. And then, you know, you have the Great Commission coupled with that. And uh, Matthew 28, 18, um, you know, all authority has been given to us by Christ. Uh, you know, go make disciples of the nations. Uh, and so it's like, I really, really felt strongly like I need to bring the kingdom into the marketplace. That was, I mean, it was just, it was just loud. It was like, you know, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was just, you got to do this right. You've got to make some adjustments. And so at the time I had five guys working for me and one of them was very spiritual. He actually ended up leaving that winter and uh, going into seminary. And mm. uh, the other four guys were, they're good guys and I re- really respected them, but they just didn't have a similar vision. They weren't interested in the kingdom stuff. They were just good at what they did. Right. And um, so I ended up just letting them all go. And I, uh, <laughs> And I, I knew I was going to take a hit and you know, this was going to hurt me financially and all that stuff. Um, but I ended up hiring uh, a guy I met at church. His name's Alex Kaufman. And he didn't really have any construction experience. Uh, and I actually invited him out to help me on a project just to kind of see if he had uh, what it took. Like, does he have the knack? Does he have the feel? Like, is he mechanically inclined? That sort of thing. And I was at that time, I was pretty good at sizing people up, what their capabilities were. And he had it, you know, I knew he had the the inclination and all that. And so basically I, the goal was, I was, I was transforming my company into a kingdom minded discipleship program, you know, kind of how I thought about it. And, and Alex agreed to be discipled by me. Uh, he was, he bought into my vision and, um, and so for the next couple of years, he, you know, I discipled him in construction. I was teaching him how to do tile. I was teaching him how to mud drywall, you know, and all that stuff. He didn't know how to do any of that. Yeah. And, um, but to his credit, uh, he, such a humble guy, he, he like, whatever I told him to do, he'd do it. Like, even if he disagreed, he, you know, and we kind of had this agreement, like you do it my way first and perfect it my way. And if you have a better way, then, you know, you can do the better way after you've mastered my right. And that humble mentality that he had, I mean, he, he probably grew in maybe three or four years uh, and achieved, let's say, uh, you know, uh, experience in that time period. What what might take a guy 10 or 15 years? Yeah, I believe that he was humble and he was whatever, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do it. And uh, 
So there, and there were times where I was very critical. I was like, Hey, you overlooked this, you overlooked that. Like, what about this? You know, and he had some tough days, lots of tough days, but he, he, he just took it and kept, just kept working. And, uh, so, uh, so we did that for a couple of years and, and then another thing happened. My dad wanted to retire and I agreed to take over his business, which is a logistics business. So that I was kind of doing a, a, a shirt construction on the side with Alex and we were getting burned out. And then the Lord sent us Ben Cook and between those two guys, they were bought into the vision. Uh, both of them have different skill sets. Culturally, we were trying to build and sort out like, what does it look like to have a kingdom culture? you know, in a business, it's yeah. not, plus you got all the business stuff. Like how do we be profitable and yep. you know, um, how do you put all these systems in place? Um, you know, it's easier with a one guy kind of thing or one guy and a, and a crew following him than, than, you know, to have kind of three chiefs. Um, so we were see, sorting out a lot of like, uh, delegating positions. Um, we kind of had a brainstorm whiteboard thing. Like what, like what, do, who do, who are we, what do we value? And what kind of culture do we, we want to build? Um, and the first one was teachable. Everyone's, you know, able to hear a rebuke from someone or hear a different way of doing things. A lot of times there's a lot of competitiveness in construction where it's like my way, the highway. Hmm. Um, so we, we are all teachable. And, and also when bringing in new guys, you know, like, hey, if you're not teachable, we're going to hate you and you're going to hate us. Mm-hmm. You know, So we only want teachable people to come in uh, into our, our culture. Um, number two is kick. Uh, so we wanted a, a kind of a competitive nature to people, a hustle, you know, uh, we wanted to bring in guys that work with us that are like thinking of the next thing that needs to be done or, Hey, we're hanging up this board. The guy go grabs the, the screw gun or whatever, you know, it's like a step ahead, not someone just standing around watching and yeah. it's kind of reactive. Um, we we're, we're a crew that gets the job done. Um, and then we wanted people that are like grow or die, you know, if someone's uninterested in being discipled, uh, they're not interested in growing personally, being challenged, like wanting to better themselves. And, you know, this is not a good fit. You know, we're not, you know, uh, we're just not interested in kind of a consumer, you know, kind of indifferent type of, uh, uh, employee or teammate. Let me interject on that grow or die thing, because even what you're saying about, discipling your employees i mean that that can be potentially explosive language and it sounds very challenging to people think whoa 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 i mean i'm just trying to run a successful business here um but to add another layer of that into it let me let me just say by way of explanation every outfit whether it's a nonprofit or it is a corporation we all have a culture that we are putting forth. There's something that we're protecting. There are, there are lines, whether they're articulated or not, that when you, when you step across that line, everybody goes, hey, what are you doing? There, mm-hmm. we have, there are values that we hold, and there are cultures that every organization has. Now, if you haven't taken the time to articulate them, then everybody's wandering around, and you only really know when you cross the line, and you get your That's hands right. slapped, and you go, what, what just happened? But we are, every organization is discipling people. And the, the, the best example in my town, because everybody knows this example, is Procter & Gamble. There is a type of person 
that that works at Procter and Gamble. And if you are not that kind of person and you somehow get hired, eventually you will become that kind of person because the workplace environment is so much of your life. It takes so much of your energy and your mind space. And by virtue of getting a paycheck, you naturally want to please the people that you're with. So whether you like it or not, it's kind of like education. Whether you like it or not, it's a discipleship environment. So education, where where we put our kids in school, that is a discipleship environment we're putting them into. Your workplace, and if you're a business leader, you have a discipleship environment. Now, most, this is my experience in my lifetime, most Christian leaders, as you said, we saw the workplace as an unholy necessity and didn't, didn't see any value in it. But you know, the realization I hope that we're coming to broadly is that this is a massive opportunity to create people and yes. to create um, people who are practical followers of Jesus, not just, yeah. um, okay, I believe these spiritual things. Okay, now let's get to work and do the stuff. And I, you would say, no, the way that we bang these nails in and the way that we finish off this drywall is is it has a one to one relationship with your discipleship of Christ? They're the same. They're in the same vein, right. <clears throat> and I think it's very exciting. I know that m- this might be like new information for people to hear, but I think it's very exciting. It's one of the things that you get so deeply that really turned me on to wanting to hear more from you. You really get the fact that the workplace is a discipleship environment, and it can be done, and you can create vision inside your company that is, hey, I want to grow you up. You don't have to be a believer to work here, but you have to know that when you come here, I'm going to start steering you this way because I'm in the people building business. So uh, anyways, I just want to say that about your value of of everybody's here to grow. There's no space that's neutral. You know, uh, a lot of times people make the statement that like, oh, I'm neutral on politics or something. Yeah. The education system's neutral, right? right. We can, it's okay to send our kids there. You know, there's some Christian teachers there. Well, uh, they can't teach about the Bible there. Yeah. You know, like the workplace. I mean, it, there's nothing neutral about any business. You know, either there's going to be some discipleship or some pushing of culture, yes. uh, cultural norms, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable to discuss or whatever. And, uh, and so that, that's, uh, and, and I think one challenge that I, I don't know if we could really get into it or I can help with this, but it's like, I know how I could do this with my construction business. Um, because I controlled everything and it was kind of rebuilt from the ground up, mm-hmm. you know, someone who has a business that's already established with, you know, 15 employees, like my, my, um, logistics company that all, all of those employees are, have been with the company for 30 years. Those are people my dad hired. So, uh, you know, um, pushing the culture towards like discipleship or like Christ focus is more challenging. It's sure. more, it's more subtle, you know, like sure. I'm pushing things that way, but it's not as, uh, aggressive, if you will. <clears throat> A lot of times when the Lord pressures us and like put something on our heart strong and it's like a little scary and we're like, Oh man, should I do that? I'm going to take a hit on my revenue. How's this going to affect my family? But then it was like, oh, the Lord provided and gave me this opportunity with my, my dad's business to supplement that. So then it's like, almost like I, 
you know, it was just like a short time period where I was not making as much money. Then it was like, oh, okay, now I'm, I'm making the money that I, you know, that I was making prior, you know? Um, and then the other really, really sweet thing about it was, is it gave, put me in a position to where once Alex and Ben, like were really running the companies from in a very solid way, it was like, it was, it was an easy decision to me for me to like, give it to them, you know? So I'm, I'm still 10% owner, but I just, I just gave them, you know, 90%. And now these two guys are, you know, they're providing really, really well for their family way more than they had ever made in the past. That's amazing. And they're growing. And for me, that's like, it's just a great story. Like it's, it's like what I was on my heart and it came to pass. Right. And you made, you made disciples who um, not only have hopefully the Lord's heart for the work, but they're also good at the work and, whoever they're hiring or working with, they now know how to do what you did with them and yeah, they can and reproduce what you've me. done. They're probably better than me now. That's, you know? That's the goal. So, um, I'm just so proud of those two guys. Like my ceiling was their floor. They just kind of picked up and just kept moving the needle, you know, and it's been hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's like, there's been ups and downs and sure you know, different things. Um, but each year we've learned more, we've tweaked. It's like this, this slow progression, you know, getting better and better. That's I talked about uh, Alex Kaufman on this podcast before because I had met up with him and then told Mark about him. And he seemed like some crazy warrior from another country <laughs> who had come in from the mountains and had yeah. his long dreadlocks and his he's a burly guy and it was full of yeah. life and tells me about his giant family and yeah it, it was it was he's a really great guy he's uh um, he's a john the baptist uh type guy well, that's my he kind really of guy like he's he's just rough you know and he's he's he gets in there and he's like you know he just gets the job done like he's just he's just a tough guy and i really admire you know his uh his heart and like what he's doing with his family and he has 11 kids and uh, <laughs> just the other night we were hanging out and he's like yeah my wife amber and i were we're, we're uh, thinking about having two more <laughs> that was you know and this is right after kind of saying you know uh, they're just getting their heads above water with their youngest baby you know right like, He's like, all right, let's bring on some more. <laughs> right. One, once they fit one into the system, it's time for a new one. Yeah. Well, um, God did you a favor when he brought him along, and he also did him a favor uh, by providing you as a mentor. So you you were walking through five uh, values that you identified, and you were on the third one when I rudely interrupted. Yeah. You. So uh, we just spoke about uh, grow or die. Uh, number four was others first. Um, so the heart of this is like when we're in a customer's home, you know, we're there to serve them. You know, we're, the, we're there to think about w- w- what's the state of this family? Like, how are things going with them? Like how, how do they view contractors coming in their home and tearing out a big wall, you know? Um, and how do we serve them as a servant mentality? You know, we, we, we try to refrain from making judgments, harsh judgments of each other and give grace, right? We try to think, try to view things from each other's perspectives. Um, 
it, it can't be just a selfish kind of like, Hey, this is about me. And if this isn't working out for me, yeah, you know, I'm walking or whatever. So, and you've um, told me stories of clients who were nervous about having people tromp through their homes and yeah. were, were impressed at, at the heart that you guys brought in, which is not what people expect when construction guys are coming into their home. That's right. Uh, most people uh, uh, expect, um, you know, rough guys taking breaks all the time outside smoking and cussing and all this stuff. Uh, I remember I was down at um, Longworth Hall working on a, a Pifio uh, remodel uh, yeah. years ago. And I was there real late. I was building this sound booth uh, for like the producers there. And uh, and it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night and someone came down from upstairs and I, and I didn't know there were people up there, but my crew and I were there working and we were talking and stuff. And they, she came down this lady and she's like, Hey guys, I just let you know, I hear everything you guys are saying and doing. And I'm like, Oh really? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, and she said, but I just, I just wanted to, I've heard your whole conversation and just kind of what you guys are saying and all that. And she said, it's really refreshing, you know, to, to, to just hear like the positive attitude you guys have and oh. uh, just that you're not down here cussing and like being vulgar and all that stuff. And, and I, I, to be honest, I was kind of offended when she said that to me. Cause I was like, I was like, man, you have such a low view of contractors, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I do but understand. I, I I appreciated her saying that, you know, because it was like, oh, so this is what the world expects mm -hmm. from contractors. And so yeah. um, that was one thing that was in, I had in mind when I was uh, restructuring my company. I was like, I want to I want to exceed customer expectations. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want if anyone thinks that when they experience a short construction, they're going to be blown away. I just want to blow them away. And it's great. And there's comments like, you know, we didn't want you, your guys to leave. Uh, you know, the way you all were with our children and engaging with our children was just so heartwarming. And we just felt like you guys were part of our family. Wow. <laughs> Things like that. And, uh, you know, and we're known to pray for people on the spot and, <laughs> you know, encourage people. I mean, we're not, you know what I mean? We're looking sure. for spaces to uh, just to, to just love them. You yeah. know, we've just... I mean, we're always booked. We're, you know, I think we're three months now, but it's anywhere from three to three to six months. I think last year we were booked for a year. Wow. You know? Yep. And uh, and number five was clarity. Uh, this one was added last uh, because we kept having miscommunications. Hey, clarity needs to be very top. In our, you know, when we talk to customers, we need to be very particular on how we talk and maybe document it and repeat that. Um, that way. We're not constantly in this status. Well, I thought you said this or no, you told me this. Well, dang it. I guess I did tell you that. I didn't think about this. So we're, we're very, we're trying to be very careful with our words. So you gave um, most of assured construction to Alex and Ben. And then what did you do? Did you, did you then go lay on a hammock? <laughs> um, a little bit, a little bit. I, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not as engaged in the day to day as I was, uh, after that. Um, uh, my main position is visionary, uh, which is part of the EOS, um, system. Are you familiar with the EOS? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So it's for those that don't know, it's the entrepreneurial operating system. Uh, Gina Wickman, who wrote the book Traction, came up with it. And he's got this whole organization uh, of EOS implementers uh, that help install these operating systems and businesses. And is your is your work in the logistics company? Is that the lion's share of your time now? Yeah, that's my primary um, job. So I'm director of technology there and I'm essentially managing a programming team. I'm at home all day um, with my family. That's amazing. Uh, I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my children. Um, I'm able to uh, be there to support my wife. Um, I, I envision you on video uh, meetings uh, while you're roller skating around in the ballroom and you have... <laughs> headphones on and you're going, uh, yeah. yes, more of this, less of that. Good coding. Get that yeah. to me by Tuesday while you're spinning around in roller skates. That's what I, that's what I see. That's, that's a possibility. I haven't thought of that one. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate your, your perspective on creating a kingdom culture in your work. And I, I'm just thinking about the people who are listening to this and going, Okay, that sounds kind of exciting to, that I could take I could take the simplest uh, business and and infuse uh, kingdom culture and help develop. Even if you've got sixteen year old part time workers, you can still be um, developing kingdom values in them and having influence in their lives. Um, but what what would you say? I mean, the the kind of most intimidating thing I think about your story is that you started at sixteen, and you you started doing your own things. So you have a lot of experience behind you. What about somebody who they're they're working a normal um, corporate job and they're start they're starting to think, you know, for the freedom, for the influence that I could have um, mm-hmm. with others that. The sort of cultural freedom, you know. For instance, your company, you're free to um, pray with a with a client when there's an opportunity there. If you worked for Joe's Construction, that would not be cool um, yeah. because you because you'd be representing the ownership, right? So when people kind of look at the opportunities that owning a business affords them, and I think, well, I know for a fact there are more and more people that are considering moving from a stifling corporate job, which might have its own political slant. It might have its own anti-religious slant, who knows what. And people think of going off on their own. What, what, are, your, what, are, what are your first thoughts of advice for anybody who's thinking of going on their own to, to start a business? I, first of all, I, I would say, what does the Lord want you to do? You have to go to the Lord and you have to say, God, I'm in this spot, right? And there is a kind of an idea in scripture that, you know, he wants, he wants us to work where we find ourselves, you know? That's right. And if the Lord says, I, w- I want you here, I want you in this job working for this company. I know they're pagan and they're antichrist or whatever. Then you need to view yourself as like, hey, I'm a missionary here. Where can I, like, Lord, give, give me something that I can change Maybe it's just the littlest thing. Maybe it's the thing is the Lord wants you to remember all the names of everyone's spouse and children and check up on all of them, you know, and say, hey, how's your son doing? Maybe it's you take a break and like at lunchtime and you pray at your desk, right? What can you do? What can you get away with there? And right. you know what I mean? Like, 
how do you keep your mind on the Lord throughout the day? Are you able to listen to worship? Like whatever it is, like I, I, I think the thought is, is just like do what you can and, mm-hmm. and don't try to do everything. Like that's one thing that's uh, I think a lot of people get like it feels like a heavy burden. Like, oh, my gosh, how am I supposed to like, you know, do all this? And, you know, it's like, no, just just one little thing. One percent. Can you change one percent? Um, so let's say the Lord wants you there. Um, but maybe he long term wants you to start your own business, you know, or maybe he wants you to a lot of guys I know are buying re- real estate on the side or yes. something like that. So maybe you could do a, a side hustle that's manageable that you have margin for. Right. So you, you build something and water it, you know, maybe for the next five years. And then you're like, Oh, you know what? Now I can walk away from this corporate job. Right. I don't have much control over much influence. And I can, I, I have a, enough foundation um, to go off on my own now. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I think about it. It's like a plotting along. There's a book called uh, Productivity by Doug Wilson. Oh. But it's very similar to Atomic Habits, but I, I really liked that general idea. You know, just do a little bit a day. Don't, you know, don't, don't try to write a whole book in, yeah. in a week. You know, write five sentences a day yeah. or something like that. Uh, and then the Lord will bless that. You know, the Lord will honor that. Next thing you know, in six months, you're in a completely different place than you were. You know, you may be in a place you never even dreamed was even sure. possible. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you think people 